Tales from the Chair is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment. Should you or a loved one require further assistance, please seek out a licensed professional. Hello again, this is Carlos Cardenas, and welcome back to Tales from the Chair. So today's episode, we're going to start off a little different. I figured since we're starting off this whole process, it would be a good idea for you, the listener, to get to know a little bit about me. If you've been listening previously, you would know I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. What that means is I have a graduate degree in which I have passed my respective exams in order to be licensed. Unfortunately for me, I'm not a doctor. As much as people think that I'm a doctor, I actually have not gotten a PhD or a PsyD. So the only thing that that means to you is that I can't prescribe medication and insurance companies pay me about 10% less. But for the most part, it's pretty much the same. And I can't wait for the email I get from somebody who has a doctorate that's gonna tell me that it's different. And I'm just gonna spare you the trouble. Yeah, I know what the difference is, but for the sake of keeping things quick and simple, I'm explaining it the way I am. Anyways, when I started college at 17, I went to the University of Miami. Go Canes. I went there over the course of two years. When I graduated, around that time, I got a job at a small little therapy office as a co-therapist. What is a co-therapist? Well, it's a fake title if you ask me. Basically, this person hired me in order to see clients that she didn't want to see and to run assessments of very expensive exams that I would grade and do and she would just basically sign off on it. Kind of, sort of, illegal what she was doing. You are not supposed to be able to do that, uh, especially with someone who does not have a license or is allowed to do that. Of course, I was a fresh-faced teenager who was just taking a job in an industry that I love, so I just kind of went along with it. But I did that for about nine months before I started up my grad program over at UM. That was another two-year program. The second year, I had to do an internship where I got to be a school counselor at a high school, which was a fantastic experience, except for the fact that I have a young face and I was about 19, 20 at that point. So basically I would be stopped by the school security pretty much once every few weeks, told to go back to class. And when I would explain to them that I was a school counselor, they would basically try to strong arm me and take me to the principal's office where I would once again remind them, I'm actually the school counselor. You're making me late to go to work. And everybody would have a nice laugh, but it would happen about three weeks later. So that was fun. But After that, after I graduated, I got to go to an agency to work in the community. Agencies are basically facilities that perform therapy across whatever location that they're in. Now, there's different agencies that provide services in office. They provide services out on the community, very specialized or very diverse. This was an agency that provided in-home therapy basically off of grants. So what that meant is from a kid who had autism to an adult that had schizophrenia, we were taking anything and everything, which is really problematic if you ask me, but it seems that nobody has a problem with this and everybody was just okay with it. And it was a sort of trial by fire. So remember how I said that I, for my internship, had to be a school counselor and was getting in trouble in the high school because they thought I was a student. Well, by the time I start the agency, 
talking about a trial by fire here, the first client I have pulled a knife on me, which is just delightful for a person who starts off in this kind of industry to have them happen. This individual had some psychotic issues, was deeply just gone. I, again, had to provide in-home services in his little sublet in the neighborhood. And it seems that when we were having the intake, he forgot who I was. And when he went to the kitchen to do something on his hot stove, he looked back, realized there was a person in the room with him, pulled out a kitchen knife and said, who are you? So I had to de-escalate the situation, which luckily as a person who got an education in this stuff, I was able to do. And then I was able to quickly tell him, oh, by the way, I have a form for you to sign. Um, I kind of put it on the floor on the other side of the room. And luckily he was kind of like, too gone in his own head to know what I was doing. He went to go get it. I'm like, all right, well, um, bye. And I just kind of left the place. Uh, ironically enough, I kept on working with the person because I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. But after I left that session, I went to the local gun shop there, not to buy a gun. No, I'm, I'm not one of those people, but to get a taser for self-defense. The funny part about this story besides, oh, this is normal, is that when I told my supervisor about this, they told me, oh, actually, you can't do that. In fact, you can't have any kind of self-defense. That's actually untherapeutic. So when I told them, if that kind of stuff happens to me, what am I supposed to do? Agencies basically recommend that the most that you could do is de-escalate or maybe pepper spray them. So I had to return the taser back and basically deal with some very wacko characters down the line with absolutely no way to defend myself in any way, shape, or form. So that was great. So I did that for about a solid year or so. Unfortunately, the agency ran out of funds because there was a lot of fraud. And I was unfortunately one of the casualties. As the shortest tenured therapist, I ended up being removed. And I subsequently had to move up to Broward to work in a drug rehab program. So out in Memorial Hospital, which is a big hospital out in Broward, I was providing services to kids that got caught with drugs and were trying to get their records expunged. And you had kids who ranged from this one kid that I had that he got caught the first ever time that he smoked weed. Now, if there's any listeners out there that have ever smoked weed, imagine the first time that you did it, that a cop rounds the corner and arrests you because you and your friends decided to do it at the worst, most inopportune time. That was this kid. I guess best case scenario of a scared straight because he was a very humble middle-class kid that just wanted to try it out, had awful luck, and now had to go through this whole drug rehab program with 20 other kids ranging up to and beyond sellers, addicts, and just kind of very out there individuals. So that was what I was doing for about a year. And it was an interesting experience. There was one kid, to give you a, a, an idea of the breadth of what I was dealing with, I had one kid who was not only a user, he was also a seller. He sold crack, he sold weed, he sold LSD. You want it, he has it. And <laughs> this guy, he was a trip because he also was an amateur tattoo artist. So he would often ask me if I wanted to get a tattoo from him because, you know, he was so grateful for what I was doing. And, you know, I didn't want to because quite frankly, uh, his tattoo sucked. But, you know, bless his heart that he really wanted to do that. But 
Uh, also, he, you know, if you've ever heard the story of how Pixar came up with some of their ideas for their initial movies, it's the bar napkin stories. Basically, that they came up with their, a lot of their ideas and put it on a napkin. So one day I'm telling this kid, hey, if you're going to do tattoos, there's a liability issue. So you might want to get on top of that. And he went ahead and got a scrap piece of paper and wrote down on it, you promise you will not sue me. So just a delightful, you know, tale of just kind of like, ah, children. So I did that for about a year or so, and I returned back to the other agency, where for about, I would say, nine months, I was a part of their domestic violence unit. They liked me enough to t bring me back, but, you know, and put me into something harder, but I digress. I was able to help victims get resources so that they could break the cycle of violence. I was able to help assailants try to break out of their cycle of creating violence. I was able to help out a lot of people who found themselves in very bad situations but got a domestic violence charge. There was this one instance, which probably the weirdest and craziest story of my time there, in which I worked with a nine-year-old who got called in for domestic violence, but it was mislabeled. But this kid, he was nine, remember? So he got a blowjob from a five-year-old. Let that sink in for a minute. He got a blowjob from a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, a kid who referred to his member as a snake when it was flaccid and a mighty dragon that shot out cream when it was erect. So yeah, a lot to unpack there. And that's the kind of stuff that I was working with. But Overall, aside from the madness of some stories like that one or the one in which I got called to go help out a family and both the mom and the daughter wanted to see if they can convince me to stay for the night and have some wine with them, uh, aside from that, it was actually a very good experience. It was very fruitful. So after that period of time, I managed to get back down to my local branch of the agency because Broward is a solid 60 miles away and I didn't want to drive there every time anymore, where for another about year or two, I was working in the agency once again with basically anything and everything they threw my way, which kind of problematic because as I mentioned, we would work with autistic kids and that is a service that requires special attention. But there we were without the specific kind of training providing assistance. But I was always meant for private practice. So around the 2011-2012 range, I was finding any and every outlet I can to go out and be in private practice. In case you don't know, private practice is a very difficult thing to get into in psychology. Not only because of the logistics, um, getting into insurance panels, getting people to pay you a rate that is fair and um, basically survivable, if you're trying to work with somebody else, having people who are trustworthy and are not going to do anything ridiculous. When I started my private practice, it was by joining other practices. And unfortunately, as you will find out in a future episode, therapists are actually very quirky individuals. Um, I had one person where I had to leave their office because they accused me of stealing a rug of theirs. Um, so let me explain. I was building out my own office while also working with another therapist in another office. And for some reason, they thought, you know what Carlos is going to do to me? He's going to take my rug, a tiny POS three by six rug, and is going to put it in his office so he can save money on furniture. And it was so egregiously dumb 
to be accused of that. Never mind a lot of other things that were going on that I just had to leave that place after a certain point. Then I had another individual where they accused me of stealing a candle that I went at late hours and broke into their office to steal a candle. How is that a thing? So yeah, I went and got my own office. I like being able to pick and choose my clients. I like being able to go into my own space. If you ask me what kind of therapist I am, and I actually get this question frequently from patients, it's a very complicated answer. Put it this way. I could tell somebody that I practice CBT and I could just stop right there. And for the most part, most people are going to take that answer and just accept it. And they won't even know what CBT is. And that's about it. Conversation over. But to explain the nuance of how much of a flexible format I use and how it depends on the person and the situation they're coming in and taking into cultural factors and individualistic factors and all these different things that I do to tailor to each individual what they do, I find that it's just a lot easier to say, well, what are you looking for? If they're looking for something that I am not, then I kind of send them away to somebody else. Generally, most people, when they come into my office, they don't ask about what I am. They ask me about what I am not. So for example, they'll say like, well, you're not a Christian therapist, are you? And that's a better question because it actually allows me to get an insight into what they're looking for versus what they're worried about. And we're able to be honest with one another about where to take the therapy from there. So, and, and again, mind you, as, as I will point out in a future episode, and as I've kind of hinted already previously, a lot of therapists have a lot of quirks that they bring into this work. And it's good to kind of try to figure out who you're working with about these serious things in your life before you jump into it with them. But if you want to know what kind of therapist I am, I do take strategies from cognitive behavioral, from structural, from systems theory, from psychoanalytic, narrative principles, and I do implement them into my work, but it really depends more on the kind of individuals that I'm working with. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. There is a method to the madness at the end of the day, but I am, you know, if I had to pick something, I am, I guess, a CBT therapist because everything boils down to that. And from a family's concept, I am a structured family therapist, but honestly, if you want to be treated with a level of individual care when you see a therapist, you don't want to be put into a cookie cutter system of how to deal with your problems. So with that, we're out of time. That's a little bit about me. I'm sure you'll get to know me a little more as we keep on doing these episodes and as I keep on describing kind of how I view these things. But if you have any questions, feel free to join the chat on Twitter at some tales from, or you can email us at some tales from the chair at gmail.com. But with that, we're out of time for today. Thanks for coming. Talk next time.